Happening good fighters coming to you live with a whole lot of connection, intention, and purpose. Dr. Nash Stopko, Dr. Gates Mayer. And today we have an awesome guest coming to us live from what looks like the fountainhead, uh, Dr. <laughs> Rob Sinnott. Dr. Rob, thank you for coming on. And Absolutely, my pleasure. Yeah, I mean, this is just, uh, we've been talking about this for a while, Dr. Gates and I. And, uh, you know, I, we both graduated the same class. You did our, our commencement speech, and you've been a big influence, I know, for the both of us. Um, Dr. Gates, you just started reading. What were you reading? You were reading the yeah, the the textbook, textbook to end all textbooks. That's yeah, all boy. you need right there. <laughs> yep. And I, I myself have uh, volume one of Senate's philosophy. So you know, we you're a big influence for us, and it's uh, a huge day to have you on the podcast. Thanks. That's well, kind of you to say. I look forward to it. Um. So, Dr. Rob, I know that you are a Fountainhead alum, and with your background, what's that been like since you've graduated? Uh, when did you graduate? What's the what's the culture change been looking like for you? I know you practice in Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little about how you've been still able to keep in touch with the Fountainhead and what that influence has been like for you? Well, you know, I always stay in touch with uh, with uh, faculty and you know just people I know and students I've met over the years. I've had. Uh, Nine patients become chiropractors now all through Palmer. And, uh, you know, they're, I just, I've, I've had the opportunity to speak at a lot of schools around the world. And uh, there's just no substitute for what Palmer offers. Uh, they have the best faculty, the best collective faculty in the world. I mean, there's some isolated people here and there at all, pretty much all the schools that are pretty good faculty. I don't mean to, you know, besmirch anyone, but there's nowhere you can get the education you can get at Palmer. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, when I, um, you know, up through the time Dr. Barge passed away, um, you know, I was out at Palmer a lot. My first 10 years, I'm about a hundred and I think it's 126 miles or close to 150 miles, somewhere in there from Palmer. And, uh, I made, uh, 300 visits to the student clinic my first 10 years out of school. Wow. Oh my gosh. I knew when I was a student, I said to myself, if I get out of this place, I swear to God, I'm going to come back and do what I can to help, you know? And, uh, and, you know, some of those visits, you could be on that high low for 45 minutes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) students, we're not the fastest, we're not the fastest and most efficient at what we do. And Chris Kent refers to seeing students as neurological Russian roulette. <laughs> but it is yeah, not that bad. They really do a good job. But, you know, I just thought if I can help, you know, drop your elbow, try this, think of, you know, to come at a different angle, whatever, to help someone become a little better than I was when I was a student, I think that's just paying it back because chiropractic has given me everything I have. Um, um, I mean, even, you know, for, you know, even, even my wife, she had a, back in the mid nineties, she had a cord injury and the uh, finest uh, neurosurgeon in Chicago, uh, who's now retired, brilliant man. He told her she'd never be more in a quadriplegic. And, you know, if you've seen her walking around campus out there, she's not. So, you know, that's chiropractic and the body's an amazing thing. And when you remove an interference to the normal healthy processes of life, your body does what your body does. And it's, uh, mm. 
you know, it's amazing. And I always tell patients on our first, before I adjust them the first time, you know, if you feel better, you can't blame me. I'd love to take the credit because that would make me cool. But I'll tell you, if one thing the girls in high school taught me, I'm not cool. So, you know, I'm, I'm all right with that. I, I made peace. I made, I made peace with it, you know, but, but seriously, you know, it's important for me before they get that adjustment that they understand that their body is doing it. And, and as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, in subsequent visits, when they start telling me, you know, some wonderful thing about their, their health status, I'll usually say something like, uh, now do you need another bottle of those tablets I gave you on the first, or Gail gave you on the first visit on the way out the door? Did you take them all already? Or you have some left? And I'm like, well, she didn't give me anything, you know, like they've been ripped off. And uh, I'll say, so I didn't put anything into you. I don't remember taking a scalpel and moving your anatomy around. What did I do? And they always say the same thing. Oh, I, yeah, I get it. I'm like, no, I, I understand you get it. And I don't care if you say it properly, but I'm just curious what you think I did because I want to know where they're at. So I know how I can better educate them to get them where they need to be. And, you know, the, it also reinforces the idea that nothing was put into them. You know, all it was, all it was done. And I don't mean to say all, cause it's a very important thing, but all we do as chiropractors is removing interference, you know, and, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the biggest thing we can do, you know, uh, but as far as connection with Palmer, I mean, that's, that's my school. That's, and even if I didn't go to school there, I'd still, I'd still be hanging around Palmer because I, I, you know, everyone in the profession knows it's the place. Mm. Uh, they're full of the, the chiropractic world is full of two kinds of people, people that went to Palmer, people that wish they went to Palmer. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty much what it is. Yeah, that's we true. Have a, we have a philosophy diplomate class that, uh, I, I I host for a nonprofit that I'm not part of, but, you know, I volunteer and um, we um, we had Dr. Hines and Dr. Harity, you know, Harity Hines uh, out to do a technique review for a weekend that's covering the art. And uh, it's a it's a uh, three year program. And in the second year, we have a weekend of of technique where we look at the philosophical side of technique. We also have a little, a little review for people. <clears throat> and most of the people in the current class didn't go to, didn't go to Palmer, mm. which is fine. They're good people. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It matters what you do after you graduate. You know, that's what makes us chiropractors. So, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, we had them come out and do uh, just a, a, a four hour little review and they are so polished and precise in every little movement they make when they when they speak. And uh, there was a, a, a good friend sitting next to me who went to national and he leaned over and he said, why couldn't I learn this when I was in school? You know, and it's sex. We take it for granted as Palmer people that like, oh, they've got a good technique department, you know, but all schools do. No, they don't. No, no they don't. <laughs> there were faculty from other schools taking notes feverishly while they were talking. So that tells me that, you know, all we need to know, we had graduates from at least four different schools in the room. And the the look around the room was pretty universal that just awe at like, wow, these people really learn stuff when they go to school there. So, you know, when, when, when someone has a, <clears throat> a really out of the box, kind of a, uh, an interesting change of metamorphosis take place in their life, whether they can walk now or whatever it is, um, some, something that people never thought would happen for them. 
uh, they'll thank me. And if they pour it on a little too heavy, it reminds me that I need to write an email and I'll email whichever faculty played a role in that, in my processes that helped me with that, with that uh, patient and, and thank them for it because, you know, they don't, they don't get to see the result of, of what they teach us. They're trapped in a classroom. I shouldn't be trapped, but they don't get to see the fruit of their labor actually, you know, take root and like we do in practice every day. I mean, the things we get to see, it's just, it's crazy phenomenal. You know, the mm. body is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Life's amazing. You know, you it's, love it. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I appreciate you giving us that insight, even for both of us. I know we're both pretty much uh, history nerds, especially when it comes to chiropractic. So it's always cool to be able to dive in and really hear, you know, from firsthand what it was like for somebody to be a, uh, under tutelage under somebody like Dr. Fred Barge. Mm -hmm. The cool thing that I know we appreciate about chiropractic and uh, understanding about our, the torch that's been passed down is that nobody rests on their laurels, you know, that it's always, uh, standing on understanding that you're standing on top of the shoulders of giants mm -hmm. and for you and maybe for some of the listeners that are a little bit younger, how can we continue to make sure that we're standing on top of the shoulders of giants and not just resting on our laurels of the work done already for chiropractic? Well, you know, we haven't arrived yet as a profession and, and you can, you can tell that you can go on YouTube and watch a news clip of, a chiropractor that adjusts children and their ear infections are better. And they'll do a little news story in some small news media market. You know, I mean, here in the Chicago market, we don't see those stories because there's, there's, there's too much, but in smaller markets, you'll see those. And they always end the same way. They'll go to a pediatrician and ask them what they think. Why? They don't know how to adjust them. What, what, what the hell are they going to do? They got to see the kid first and couldn't do anything because yeah. they have, they have, um, they have that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They have that clout in the community that we, we don't have yet. You know, we don't have that social authority, like cultural authority. I guess that's the term I'm looking for. We don't have that cultural authority. So the news people have to find someone that they feel has cultural authority to endorse the story they just did or to say, well, you know, I wouldn't try it with most kids, but it, you know, it's lucky it worked out for these or what is something stupid. Yeah. And that's how, you know, we're not there yet because when they still need to talk to someone else about what we do that knows nothing about what we do, sociologists get the same thing. Sociology, no one respects the profession. And I don't mean to, I don't mean that. I mean, as a, uh, Things that are definitely in their realm that you'll see a news story on, they'll end it by going to a psychologist or to an MD or someone that they feel has more authority in that, you know, in that instance, which they really don't. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're not there yet. We're just not there. There are people that, that, that uh, to be honest, I think it's harder today to educate people than it was when I graduated, you know, 33 years ago, back in 1989. My biggest job was to teach people what chiropractic was. Now, I have to basically soak their heads in a bucket of water and get the garbage out so I can teach them what it really is because they watch, you know, they'll, they'll see Mike Tyson retweet that moron yanking people's heads with towels. Right. You know, who makes, who makes $30,000 a month off YouTube views, mm. you know, Oh, you kick some money to your state association. So they won't make a rule that you can't put stupid things on YouTube and then everything's fine. You know, I mean, it's disgusting. It's, it's sickening to me that people think that that's chiropractic. 
it's right. the most ridiculous. Uh, it's an it's an insult to people like that. My wife with her cord injury, had they done that, she probably would be would wouldn't even be here at this point in her life. Um, when you see things where you see an uh, an occiput fused to the atlas, or you see, uh, you know, just some of these 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 odd things that come up, uh, you know, putting attraction. When you put attraction like that on the on the on the cervical spine, for instance, what you're doing is you're pulling that that the the tension on that spinal cord is pulling that brainstem down. You have two millimeters of space around the cerebral tonsils before it hits bone, and to do something like that is absolutely absurd to me. That that's even allowed by our state boards. I just don't get it. And if you're that bad at technique, you need to get yourself back to Palmer and, and catch a technique weekend. I'm sure they do something like that. Uh, bone up a little bit. Good Lord, that's terrible that uh, that some of the things we see. And as long as people have this in their mind, that this is what chiropractic is, that's definitely going to hurt someone who's in it. And we've all had people tell us, you know, I'm trying to get my neighbor, my cousin, whatever, to come in, but they're afraid because they see this guy with this strap and he wraps around people's heads, yanking on them or whatever, you know. There was one, uh, it wasn't even a chiropractor that somebody showed me and thought it was a chiropractor where this guy hangs people from their feet by a chain from a hook in the ceiling and then lifts their body up and yanks down on it. And they thought it was a chiropractor. So, okay, number one, it's not a chiropractor. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's sickening to me, but, uh, there are people out there that put videos up with doing some good work, but even good work doesn't, doesn't bring comfort to someone who doesn't know what chiropractic is. They look at that and go, Ooh, Ooh, no way I'm getting that done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We just got to stop doing things like that. We're, we're cutting our own throats because of ego. We like to see ourselves on the internet, you know, or whatever. And it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, but we've got a long way to go. Um, I was very fortunate. I mean, when I was, a, when, even when I was a student, uh, I, I remember I met a, I met a gentleman who graduated in 1922, which is a hundred years ago now, who's obviously long gone. And, uh, people were buzzing around him at homecoming. He was in the sidewalk in front of the school by the clock there. And people were buzzing around him like he was a fire hydrant. And I just saw this old guy and I thought I need to talk to him. So you know, I walked with him to where he was going. We sat and talked through whichever, I don't even remember the lecture we sat through anymore. And it was so fascinating to me to talk to someone who remembers when BJ introduced the NCM, you know, or rem- remembers the, you know, the, the, all that stuff we hear about in history. This guy lived through that stuff. You know, I mean, that's just so cool to me. Um, you know, uh, uh, Terrell Dennison graduated in 27 and he and I became good friends and you know, he passed away, you know, 70 some years later. Um, but, you know, he talked to me about what it was like to practice in the depression and, you know, how they, how they, you know, made the path clear. I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's like a, there's almost like a disrespect for age. Um, I see today and it makes me sad because these people, uh, a good friend of mine just retired in December and, and last month he would have finished his 73rd year in practice. Um. Can you imagine doing this for 73 years? I mean, I'd love to think it's possible, but I, you know, I'll be, I'll be long into my, my six foot long retirement property. I bought at the local, the local graveyard by that time. But you know, it's, um, it's just that they, they love what they do. He was arrested and, you know, had a fight to, to, to stay out of jail back in, you know, back in the early fifties in Illinois, it was still a legal issue until 53 and, 
you know, I went around in 2000 and I interviewed all the DCs I could find that had been arrested and, and got their stories to talk to them. And, um, you know, that, that, that we, we need to have a reverence for our history and what people have been through to get us here. You know, uh, uh, there's a, I think it's actually our current president that many years ago said something about how, um, you know, most people today are born on second base and think they hit a double, you know, they don't realize what got them to that place in the first place. And, you know, we just can't forget uh, what, what some people went through here in Illinois, uh, Adolph Kruger, who uh, I never personally knew, but he was in a little town called Paris, Illinois. He was arrested seven times in one day. Dang. You don't do, you know, you've got to basically be looking to get arrested and to prove a point, <laughs> you know, to, to, to do that. You know, they'd arrest him, fine him, he'd pay the fine, I'm going back to my office and they'd follow him back and arrest him again. I mean, he did this seven times in one day to go through court seven times in one day. Yeah. I mean, they just don't have you once after the other. You have to go back to your office, do your thing. They arrest you. I mean, they basically had to be following him all day, but he did this to, 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 make it easy for us. I mean, we've had people take all the mountains out of the way in front of us. And all we have to look at is like, it's like that's, it reminds me of that picture from um, Forrest Gump where he's jogging and you can see that big long road. It's just flat and easy. And I mean, that's what we've got in front of us. We've got a breeze compared to what people had to put up with years ago. Even these stupid YouTube videos that we have to explain to people, um, you know, it's still easier than what they had to deal with. But, you know, we're not our, 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 we're not growing as a profession the way we should, you know, um, with what we know today and where science is today. I mean, we have, there's a medical community out there from many different continents who are, uh, who are um, administrators and faculty from major medical schools, Georgetown, and I mean, all over the place. And, and they're getting together and having uh, annual events to try to, to try to determine how they're going to switch medical education from fighting disease to restoring health, which is what we're about in the first place. I mean, they're trying to get where we're at and they find nothing but obstacles in their way because the money in healthcare is in fighting disease. You know, I don't know if you ever heard Chris Rock do his uh, thing about, you know, the money's in the medicine, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, he, he says something basically, you know, they, they say, you know, you can, you can, you can do something about AIDS, but they're not gonna, the money's in the medicine, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he made a reference to Superman. Uh, I can't think of his name now, the actor who played Superman, Christopher Reeves, Reeves you know, was paralyzed from the neck down. And, you know, he said, Superman can't walk. You go to the doctor and say, say, Hey doc, I can't walk. And they give you a chair, you know, that doesn't help. That's that's, that's not an answer, you know, and I'm not saying we have an answer for Christopher Reeves. That's not my point. My point is to say, is that you have a headache, take this. You won't feel it anymore. I, Oh, that, you know, my skin is, I've got a rash on my skin because my body's trying to force some toxin out of my body. Well, take this, this will shut, this will keep it in. Hey, I've got diarrhea. Take this cork. I mean, really? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. We, we've, we have such a, an unnatural way of looking at health. If we can get our patients to just understand not so much that medicine's wrong, but that we have something that's right. And, our profession today spends way too much time criticizing medicine. I was on my soapbox these past few years and fruitlessly, I hate to say, uh, trying to get us to talk about what we have to offer um, um, 
as chiropractors. You know what what happened in you, you, talking about Palmer, you think of what was what those classes were like in 1913, 1914. I mean, you're talking class of 40, 50 students. Then the flu hit in, in you know, 1918. Uh, so so in 1920, because a lot of people recovered from the flu. I happen to know some chiropractors in, in, in our history that had uh, recovered from the flu and, and, uh, or, or a family member had, and that's why they became chiropractors back in the twenties. And uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a sad thing that they went from class of 40 and 50 to a couple of years later, the June class of 1920 had a thousand students in it because we explained what we have to offer as chiropractors, our value. That's what we're about. No, I don't care what medicine does wrong. That's none of my business. That's their problem. You know, let them, let them do what they do. Medicine may, you know, that we hear all the time, oh, practice of medicine kills 186,000 people a year. Well, you know, that may be true, but here's the thing. If you give me a scalpel and you give me a prescription pad, I'll kill everybody. There will be no one living. I mean, I'll take them all out. They're good at what they do. It's a dangerous model. That's the problem. There are safer ways to find to, to, to find um, health than, than what medicine has to offer. And, you know, that's really what we're about. And, you know, the same thing happened in polio. There was a woman in the class ahead of me at Palmer who I would be surprised if she'd be alive today because she was in her 60s then. She'd probably push in 100 if she is. It wouldn't be over now. But wow. I thought it was odd that someone in their 60s was going through all this effort to become a chiropractor. And, you know, you just don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know, you're you're, you're kind of older. You know, what's the deal? You know, I mean, so I, I sat down next to her at a bench in the, in the old clinic across the street from where it is now. And and I didn't really know her. And I said, you know, everyone has a story. What got him into chiropractic? What's your story? And she said, well, when I was a kid, I had paralytic polio. My legs were paralyzed. And uh, she said, when I was, when I was, uh, my family took me to a chiropractor and I got better. And I promised myself when I was seven years old, I'm going to be a chiropractor. And she said, when, when, uh, you know, you go through grade school and into high school, the whole time she knows she's going to be a chiropractor. And then back in that era, you you got married after you got out of high school and she married her high school sweetheart. And they had kids, but she knew she was going to be a chiropractor. And as soon as her kids got old enough to get on their own and start college or whatever they were doing in life, she started taking a class here and a class there. And this is where it brought her. Her whole life story was to get I mean, then we're talking, you know. Years and years and years of effort to get through chiropractic school was just because she had promised herself at a child that a profession that she owed the fact that she could walk. I mean, uh, and, you know, all we want to do is complain about Fauci today. It's like, who cares what that fool's doing? It's none of my business. He's a medical doctor. Of course, we're not going to agree with him. Let him do what he wants to do. Mm. But what we have to offer is something so much more important. When, when, if we taught people the proper immune function, if we taught them that T cells take out the, the infected cells and that B cells make antibodies and, you know, and, and basically how that all ties into the nerve system, because people don't have an immune system, they have a neuroimmune system. They don't have a respiratory system, they have a neurorespiratory system. You know, and we just have to be able to build those bridges back to chiropractic. And there's no better way to do it than explain the reality. No one has a respiratory system. That's not just clever marketing. They don't. The respiratory, corpses have respiratory systems. So what? You know, it's the, it's the fact that they're controlled and coordinated through the nerve system uh, that, that is our key and our, our way into having these conversations with people. 
And we've just divorced ourselves from all logic these last couple of years. And it's just so frustrating to sit and watch. And we, I still see people losing their mind over masks. Look, you know what? If they tell me I got to wear swim flippers and a tutu to practice and do what I do, guess what? Pick me out a pretty one. Let me go to work. I really don't care. It doesn't matter to me that those things aren't what matters. What matters to me is that chiropractors forget what chiropractors, what our value is. And we totally divorced ourselves from it these last two years. And the results show it. We should be in the biggest boom we've ever had. And a lot of us were very busy during this this pandemic, you know, thing, even during the lockdowns and all that stuff. Well, in Illinois, we never completely closed. I know a few states that chiropractors couldn't even open for a period. And we didn't have that issue here. And I don't believe you had that issue in Iowa either. But, you know, I wasn't going to lose my mind over it. Whatever they tell me I got to do fine, whatever. I don't care. I get to practice chiropractic. I don't care. You know, if I, you know, I have to wear my shirt backwards. I don't care. Who cares? You know, I can, I can sit and complain about it or I can move forward, pretend it's, and you know, it's funny because little kids would come in the office and, and uh, you know, uh, with their masks on and stuff. And I just shake my head and think this is a damn shame. Um, but you know, we, we have to do, uh, in that era, what we had to do. And, and, you know, once the science came out and showed that people who had this COVID have, uh, LLBCs, long lived bone cells, which make, which make antibodies, uh, and, you know, long lived is kind of not just a name they made up. It actually is because they're there forever and T cells, they, they've traced them 17 years back in people with older forms of this COVID. So, you know, it, it, when, when the science came out and finally did what they needed to do, yeah, I get that. But, you know, explaining to people how, how a healthy, how a healthy uh, neuroimmune system functions, that would have been our job. That's what we should have been doing. And, and uh, we dropped the ball a little bit. And I'm, it's embarrassing knowing people, um, you know, like I described, that had benefited from chiropractors during polio and benefited from chiropractors during the flu. We really dropped the ball and it's, um, it's just sad to me, but, uh, you know, every day is a new day, you know, pick up the ball, move forward, do what we're supposed to do and talk about our value. If people don't know the value of what we do, why would they come to us? I have not gone more than 14 days without getting checked since I was 17 years old. So it's been 40, you know, 40, 40 years of consistent care. Um, I've driven out to Palmer uh, three times in one week to get checked by students, you know, which, you know, it's, <laughs> it's because I, I know the value of, of being free from a verbal subluxation. It's an important thing to me. Um, you know, a chiropractor doesn't get checked. I don't even know where to start with them. I don't even know what to say. You know, if you don't even believe in your own product or don't, I shouldn't even say belief because belief is like this thing, you know, do you believe in the tooth fairy, right. but it's, if you don't understand the logic in the science of, of health to see the value of chiropractic. I don't know where to even start with you. I, I don't know where to go. And, uh, you know, getting that, you know, we're not geniuses. Our patients are just as smart as we are. If we explain to them what we need to explain to them, they'll get it. If we explain to them what normal physiology, what, 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 how, how, how healthy function works in the body, it's an easy pivot to go to, you know, what happens when there isn't proper communication in the body, you know? Sorry, yeah. rambling. No, no, that was, good. <laughs> I think that was excellent. I think it's important to notice that too, too often as chiropractors, and especially young docs coming out, we let people tell us who we are instead of letting people know, letting them know who we are and what we do. And one thing that I was, when I was listening to your commencement speech at our graduation, 
I'm going to read a little bit of it, but I wanted to go further in depth too of how we can build that confidence and clarity. Cause I don't know about you, Dr. Nash, but as we've graduated and as we've practiced, I feel like my confidence and clarity has grown exponentially in what we've seen that we're capable of. And I feel like a lot of students don't necessarily know that as much anymore, but you were talking about in your speech, it says they have found that the reason people fill their emergency rooms and critical care units in later decades in life is from poorly adapting over decades, seemingly symptom-free. They illustrate that the prolonged shift in nerve function is the cause of irreversible multi-organ failure in later life. Mm -hmm. Why do they say it's irreversible? Because they can't do what you do. What can medicine do to optimize health? It is simply not in their wheelhouse. And I love that you just said that because that's our wheelhouse, optimizing health, getting people back. And I feel like so oftentimes in our profession, like, again, they, we let other people tell us that's not the right model. That's not the right thing to do, or that's not how the human body works or, you know, an adjustment's phony. And too oftentimes students, especially, I, I think they, they fall to that. And so I was wondering if you can give some wisdom to the students that are out there right now and just learning how to gain confidence, how to get, gain clarity in what they do, because they need it, especially now more than ever, I think, because we have lost our way with talking to older chiropractors or people that have those stories. Even when you shared about the polio, like that makes, you know, it gives me goosebumps just hearing that. Like, that's freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. There was a, a group of post-polio children who couldn't, you know, couldn't walk or were paralytic of, of some form who used to travel the country together. Uh, it was the We Walk Again. I have photographs of them that... Uh, an old chiropractor had given me, but it was this group. What they would do is perform, go around the country, perform feats of strength to explain chiropractic to people. I mean, we don't have people doing that for us today. I mean, it's it's pretty much us. But, you know, here's the thing. When I got out of school and even today, I could come to your practice and, man, I could hammer chiropractic home to to these people because I could talk about how good you are at what you do and why, why it's so important to come to see you. My practice, my ego doesn't let me do that. I have a hard time because it's it's uncomfortable for me. I'm not a, I'm not a person who's going to get up and tell you how great I am. I'm not. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm no different than anyone else watching this. But what helped me is when I realized that if you're not explaining chiropractic to people, a lot of people feel that they're being um, that it's like a sales thing. You know what I mean? And we're uncomfortable with that. I am. But, but then I realized that, you know, what's going to happen to, to um, people in our communities if we withhold that information from them? So it's not our right to not explain to people what chiropractic is about. It's not about us. It's about what chiropractic is about. It's what their, their body, free of interference, is capable of. That's what they need to understand. I mean, I've never had anybody call up and say, I want to bring my child in because they're paralyzed, but I've had paralyzed kids come in because another family member was a patient and understood it to the level saying, Hey, you know, and I mean, I've, I've had that, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I've had that privilege of seeing kids all the way up to 14 years old, take their first steps after their first adjustment. And it's not me. I would love that to blow my ego up, but it doesn't because I didn't do that. What did that is the education I received and I applied it. That's it. I'm a set of hands. I do what I was taught to do. I didn't, I didn't invent any new way of adjusting a subluxation. I use what I was taught at Palmer. I mean, we have the best technique department in the world. And it, I just 
boggles my mind that we go to these gurus on the weekend at some Ramada Inn off campus because, you know, we think, oh, well, the stuff they teach us on campus. And this is at every school. And they show how, you know, they'll do some modified rotary break, uh, you know, a, 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 a supine thing. And they'll stand up, ro- lift the head up, and they'll come in there at 700 miles an hour. And then they'll turn it to the other side, do the exact same thing on the other side. They know nothing about this person at all. And students will crowd around and think they're awesome because they're so fast. I took a force transducer, which is a, it's a, an instrument that measures, like if you toggle it, let's say, it'll measure the, the, uh, the time and the amount of force you delivered in that toggle. And I went to the best toggle people that have ever lived. Uh, they're all gone now. Um, uh, Bud Crowder, who uh, he ran, uh, he was the last director of BJ's clinic before it closed. And he taught instrumentation for, for BJ from 1947, you know, up until BJ passed away. And he was an administrator for decades after that. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant chiropractor. That's who I took my wife to when she had her cord injury. And uh, he tremendously helped her because he applied what he knew. Uh, but the level of knowledge that he had was amazing. But anyway, I had him toggle this, this, this tool and it would, I, I could save it on the computer and I went down to Texas and I had Marianne Pruitt, who, who had the, the, from a graph perspective, her pre's and posts were amazing. Uh, brilliant, brilliant work she did. And uh, uh, she, um, she would have um, this long, slow lump of about 20 pounds per square inch. And another gentleman who was a 47 grad as well, um, Sanford Black, who's also passed away now, <clears throat> brilliant chiropractor, and, he, and he'd, he'd adjust her, or he'd adjust this, this instrument, his were spikes of 80 pounds. Now, I went back to the hotel room, I was staying at the La Quinta in, in Fort Worth, Texas, and I pulled a pen back, and I flicked it across that pad, and his toggles were faster. He was over 80, 80 years old, and hers were these big, long lumps that didn't look like anything. And, you know, they both cleared people out. And I realized speed's got nothing to do with it. Speed's some sales thing that, that people use to convince students that they're not learning what they should lo- learn. And whenever I see these, these gurus do this goofy stuff, I just think, you know, I hope students aren't falling for this. So yeah. what it really gets back to, though, is the fact that we don't have that right not to explain what chiropractic is about. I mean, when, when, when there are people in our community that we're never going to meet if we don't it would not never be able to help, never be able to make their life better. And I think of some things I've seen over all these years. Uh, if I would have kept my my light under a bushel basket of what chiropractic is about, what chiropractic has to offer, uh, there'd be a lot of people that would be suffering. And I truly believe that a lot of people wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that uh, that simple act of just explaining what what the value of what we do is. So you're not doing it as a sales for you. You're doing it for them. And we you don't have the right not to tell people something so important that may transform their lives and and, and uh, make a tremendous change for them or a family member that you don't even know they have sitting at home. Yeah, yeah. One of the greatest, uh, I guess lessons I had picked up before I even went to chiropractic school is from one of my, my first mentor who was an upper cervical doc. And he would always repeat this uh, mantra, I guess, that doctor means teacher, or that he would always emphasize the importance of education. Because like you said before, 
it's not like we're priests we're not uh you know trying to get people to believe in something we're trying to educate them and that's what chiropractic i you know one of the main things about chiropractic truly is is it's an educational process to really give them the ability to make you know informed decisions on what can really help them become the best versions of themselves that they can be now very much yes and uh there's something else i'm gonna lead into that too but uh oh yeah here um so talking about that story just me i got it yeah it's dropping in it's dropping in um so would it kind of touch base on that story with uh what what was the name of that doc that was uh ran bj's clinic uh Um, dr crowder dr Mm -hmm. crowder yes um so Dr. Crowder, even talking about his his speed with the the force receptor, one thing that was coming into my mind too is you have 80 years of building intention into what you're doing. And, you know, talking about the slopes, having that like low hump versus the high spike and not really seeing much of a difference between even with Nuka, right? Nuka right. Know, slower than anything, right? But I think <laughs> that that really drives home the point that your intentions are the most important thing. And when you have that burning desire and that that true education of what chiropractic is, combine you know in combination with your intentions, I think that's when you really see that magic happen. I yeah. just wanted to see, or at least have you talk a little bit about uh, intentions for you and how that uh, word even really hits home. Well, I'll be honest with you. I think the the what it, what a what having intent is is the most important thing is that makes us focus. You know, um, you can have the intent of, of setting an atlas perfectly, but if you're on the wrong side and your vector's the wrong direction, it doesn't matter what your intent is. You know what I mean? So intent alone doesn't do anything for us other than it should make us focus and say, is, you know, whatever your technique is, if you're God said, you know, are they in a relaxed state? Am I stabilizing properly? Or if you're upper cervical, you know, is, is there... You know, is the, is the angle of their neck proper? You know, am I adjusting into a kink or out of the kink or whatever it might be? You know, going back to those films and that's something that's very important is to go back to your films, you know, set up on someone and then say, excuse me a second, walk back to the film and focus on that film and then come back to them. People appreciate that. They're not like, would you just get to it? They're not like that at all. They want you, they want to know that you really are focusing on them and their films, their spinographs are about them. That's not about, you know, the general person. They need to understand that everyone's an individual. And I think that ability to, to, to focus and have intent is what it's really all about. Cause BJ talked about, you know, um, the adjustment with the extra something. And I hear a lot of speakers say that's intent and it's not intent. What it is, it's having Perfect patient placement when you take the, the spinographs, you know, you, you mark the films perfectly, you know, they're, they're per, in a perfectly relaxed state, you know, everything about the way you've set, set, you know, the pre- prepared to give that adjusting force, everything is exactly right. The timing is right. The relaxation is right. The focus of what you're doing is right. That's the adjustment of the extra something. It's not one thing, but you can't have any of that with, if you don't have the right intent. So I'm not saying intent doesn't have value, but intent without skill is worthless so you know we need to hone that more than anything and you know to be to be honest we understood that as 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 palmer students it's drilled into us that you know specificity and focus and it's amazing sometimes we're just changing an angle just a slight amount uh 
in, in the, where our elbow is or where, you know, whatever it is, makes a dr- dramatic difference for someone. And you're thinking, boy, what did I change? And you, and you realize that you're, you're just a little more focused on their, you know, on their subluxation on that film, you know, somebody that toggles someone, they should have that film where they can, they can watch it as they're setting up. And the same thing with, you know, somebody, somebody that does Thompson or Gonstead or whatever. And, you know, I knew Clay Thompson very well. We became friends when I was a student and I didn't practice his technique or anything at the time, but uh, we, I don't know why he liked me, but he did. I don't know. I, I still don't really know what he saw, but uh, it was a, it was something I looked forward to talking with him, but, but uh, I thought he was a bit senile because uh, every time we'd start talking about some critical element of analysis or something that I was interested in his perspective, he'd, he'd drift off into patient education and that type of thing. And I'm thinking, boy, this guy doesn't know how to focus on what he's doing. Well, <laughs> I was the stupid one because he was trying to teach me what's really important. Yeah. You know, what was really important for me to learn. Um, and, you know, people think that the, he didn't use, uh, you know, uh, films or instrumentation. It's all done with leg checks and he'd lose his mind on you. If you ever heard anyone say that, because, you know, he taught, he was the head of the instrumentation department at Palmer. I mean, instrumentation was a huge part of what he did. And, you know, while the leg checks are important, if they didn't agree with what he saw in those films, that's not what he was going to do. And it's lost a lot of that today. But now, you know, from a Thompson perspective, Beth Zog, his granddaughter is back and she's doing a good job with teaching that and, you know, bringing some, some of that reality back into his technique again, which is good. And, you know, most techniques are, are building. There was a time probably 15, 20 years ago that I thought upper cervical was disappearing. There was almost nobody left doing upper cervical work. And now it's got a, a huge resurgence. And, you know, I, what's, what's important is removing the interference. Um, Hugh Logan, you know, they use the sacred tuberous ligament down in the pelvis that, you know, by the sacrum is a contact. And, and he spoke at a uh, for BJ in the late 1950s. And in his speech, he said, you know, I too only adjust the atlas, but I do it from down here. You know, so his point was, we're both after the subluxation, you know, and um, you mentioned Nuka and, you know, you watch Nuka, it's like, I don't know what you're doing, but you can't argue. <laughs> you can't argue with the change you see in, in a pre and a post uh, film that they take, whatever it might be. There's, there are changes happening. So, you know, removing the subluxation is the goal. And, we get into these technique battles and they're so stupid. Um, mm-hmm. We have to find what fits us and fits our personality and fits what, what, you know, what we want to practice and, and just become the best at it. And, you know, have that as your intent to be the, to master a technique. Um, and then, you know, use our philosophy as a compass because it, it's, it shows us where true North is so that we know how to apply everything to, to, to know that we're finding the four components of that subluxation and that after we give that adjustment, you know, we see the components going away. You know what I mean? So, so we know we've made an, an adjustment. Um, it, those are important things. And you can't do any of that without intent, but intent's not alone isn't enough. You have to have some level of skill. Cause I, why'd I go to school? I could have had intent when I was in high school. Heck, you know, it was the point of chiropractic school. So, yeah. you know, I'm carrying it to the extreme, but I just don't want people to get too caught up in, a, in in intent without applying it in a fruitful manner that makes you a better chiropractor, which I know is what you meant, but I just wanted to elaborate on that point. No, I mean, you got to have the third, one of the three legs, you got to have the art. And part of that comes from that skill. It comes from that determination to learn 
what you're going after. And Dr. Nash and I talk about that a lot is just, you know, you can be as fancy as you want to be, but at the end of the day, if you're not doing what you need to do in an artful capacity by learning that person's body and learning what's going to remove that interference, it doesn't matter, you know? Very true. Um, one of the things that after reading through your textbook of human adaptability, which if you have, if nobody, if everybody listened to this, hasn't gotten that textbook, I definitely can't scream from the rooftops enough about it, um, is the concept of prenosology and the metrics for that. And I was wondering if you could dive into a little bit of that, especially piggybacking off of, um, you know, being skillful and how to use those, use that, those sure. metrics with skill. Well, prenosology, nosology, it means the study of where things come from, uh, where symptoms come from, you know, where, where the complaint comes from. And if you, if you, um, so, but the prenosological, what that refers to is it's before symptoms arrive. So it started in Russia. They, uh, uh, you know, which is kind of a dirty word right now, but, <laughs> but um, uh, they, we're trying to figure out how to make the space program function in the sixties. And they came up with heart rate variability. They, they were the first ones to really look at that. And what they decided is they needed a way to determine who might um, have a, an illness or who, who's heading in a, in a, in an unhealthy direction. Let's not send them into space because, you know, someone gets appendicitis, you know, has appendicitis while they're in a space capsule. It's a bad, it's a bad thing for your space program. You know, it doesn't make people clamor to send more money into this program and that type of thing. So um, they develop heart rate variability as an analysis. And um, from that, one of the early people in that movement kind of came up with this concept of prenosological. What it means is uh, what they find, you know, depending on the study you read, read between 70 and 90% of the people in any community have um, levels of, of whether well, or not at an optimal health level, they've, they've slid back towards, you know, the other end says death. Okay. They're not there, <laughs> but they're not at optimal health anymore. They've slid away, but they haven't developed symptoms because they're not to that point. They're, they've become what we call stress susceptible or stress vulnerable. Um, and, you know, you can, you can just, Google, uh, oh, Google search, Google, go to Google Scholar and look up in, in quotes, stress vulnerability or stress susceptibility. And their medicine's looking at this. They're trying to understand who has propensity to have a problem. And so anyway, 70 to 90%, depending on which study you look at, of people in any community aren't at optimal level, but they don't have any symptoms. Do you know what I mean? They, they don't have anything. So they go to a medical doctor and they're like, hey, I'm not at optimal health. And they they look at him and go, well, you're 120 over 80 and you're 98.6. Everything's fine. Your blood work looks good. It's all great. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, you know, and that, that's not necessarily how, how health works, but uh, they don't they don't understand that. They have to have that that they have to degrade to the point where they develop uh, symptoms or even pathology before medicine has a place to even step in and do something. So. Um, just as an example of how that's being used today, uh, neonatal intensive care units in some of the bigger cities in the country are starting to look at uh, EKGs on the preemies. So these premature children, they're very tiny, and a lot of them fall into sepsis where they get a full body infection, and uh, a lot of them die from that. So they started using EKG and then running it through heart rate variability, 
And when they see that level of heart rate variability start to drop, they know now they're stress susceptible or stress vulnerable. So a vector can come along and infect them. So now when they see that, that level of heart rate variability begin to decrease, they, from a medical perspective, they start treating that child for, for sepsis two days before there's a symptom. So they know that now they're susceptible to have sepsis. So they start doing something about having sepsis and more of these kids are living. We can have an argument whether or not, you know, an antibiotic regimen is the best thing to do. I mean, I would personally like them to see them call a, a chiropractor to come adjust them. We never used to have pediatric chiropractors, you know, 30 years ago. Every chiropractor knew how to take care of children. It wasn't a specialty. I mean, we all did that. Um, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> for, but, but, from a, but from a medical science perspective, they're starting to see this. They're seeing this happen. And in, the, in that text, I use examples of, you know, everything from, from something like that all the way to leprosy and show that groups of lepers have uh, lower levels of adaptability uh, through heart rate variability than people who don't have leprosy, you know, and yeah. they've done studies with everything. There's a thousand studies in that book. And um, I, I wonder sometimes how I was able to, to put that together and write it, but it's done. So, you know, but um, you know, it, and even what there's a chapter on transgenerational stress, which is probably the least popular chapter because it's depressing as hell. Um, you know, they did studies of women who were who were pregnant at 9-11 in New York, and they can see the levels of stress now, you know, what is this, two decades later in their kids, they can see what happened to their kids, but from the stress the mother went through at 9-11. Um, they've done studies with women who were um, pregnant, <clears throat> excuse me, in a concentration camp in Europe in World War II and were liberated and <clears throat> they had their babies and in their grandchildren, they can see the results of those stresses that they went through. So it's a depressing thing from that perspective. It's like, we're all screwed, but I get that. But the thing is, what we do is we we can remove an interference to the normal processes of health with, and the normal process of health are to keep us from being stress susceptible or stress vulnerable, where we're, we're what we call stress resilient. And so when someone comes in and sits in a, sits in the chair to be scanned in my office, I use a, I use a Titron and I do a, 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 a cervical scan every visit and I do a full spine scan periodically. Um, but I'll do, I'll, before I scan them, I'll, I don't say, oh, let's see how your spine's doing today. Because in their head, they just said, my spine's fine. I feel good. Oh, well, let's see how your nerve system's doing today. Automatically, they say, well, I feel fine. My nerve system's good. But if you say, Let, let's see how you're adapting today, their eyes go up and watch that screen when it pops up there when you're done. And so what does it look like? They always want to know. They know they don't have to read those things. But, um, you know, you can give them a sense of, of whether or not they're adapting better than they were last time or when they started or whatever, whatever you want to do in that perspective. But it's it's important because when people realize how they're adapting is really the key to where their health is heading. It's a it's a leading indicator. You know, um, I like economics. I'm just kind of strange like that, I guess. But um, um, if you if you study economics, they have what they call leading and lagging indicators. A leading indicator would be like um, 
with gas prices recently. Let's say there's an oil fire, there's a field in Iraq that's on fire, oil field that's on fire. Well, technically, it's really not going to affect the gas pump tomorrow, but it's going to. So, you know, you know, that's a leading indicator. So you go to the gas station today and fill your car up because, you know, tomorrow it's going to be more. Now, a lagging indicator is to wait till the gas station changes their price and go, oh, something must have happened. So a symptom is like that gas station price. It, mm. it it tells you what's already happened. It doesn't tell you where things are going. You know, uh, Virgil Strang makes that point in his uh, Essential Principles of Chiropractic text that, you know, we, symptom tells you <clears throat> the status of a patient, but it doesn't tell you in, in which direction they're heading. So it doesn't really give us the information we need to, to do what we do as chiropractors. Um but it's a lagging indicator. We need leading indicators. You know, we follow those. That tells you what's going to happen to that gas station sign tomorrow. Does that make sense? So, yeah. you know, to, to obsess about things outside of, uh, you know, in our philosophy and, you know, the idea of how things adapt is, is a big part of, of our philosophy. To me, it's the key to everything. And if, if, you know, people don't need to understand that book at the level that's in that book, but if they understand the bigger concept that, you know, how is this patient adapting and, and have that conversation with them about how they're adapting and, and have some ways of knowing that. I don't care if you use leg checks or if you use skin temperature, whatever your anatometer for, you know, nuca people, whatever it might be, whatever measures you use, make sure they understand that you're measuring how they're adapting and, and not chasing some symptom because it helps divorce them from that concept. Um, I've had people come in uh, and say, you know, our families decided we want to we want to uh, uh, be regular with care forever because we look at you and you've never missed a day of work since you were seventeen. And I haven't. I've never missed a single day. Um, it's it's following a model that makes sense. Um, you know, I'm I don't I'm not hanging out in the gym, which I know is a much bigger thing today. Where when I was, thank God, when I was growing up, it wasn't a thing <laughs> because we had a lot more free time. Uh, you know, but um, I'm not knocking going to the gym. But you know, I was at a class in Davenport a few weeks ago. We have the LCP, which is the first year of the philosophy diplomate, and it's happening on campus now. We're doing it there uh, down at. Uh, uh, the old Lyceum Hall, the Vicki Ann Palmer Hall, whatever it's now. It, we're, we're having it down there in the same room that Dr. Barge and I used to put these things on, you know, 20 some years ago. And uh, I, I said that we were talking about the importance of certain things in, in patients' lives. And I said, uh, somebody said something about exercise. And I said, well, how many people, just raise your hands. How many people in this room have ever had a patient come in and say, hey, I was exercising, I hurt myself. Well, every hand in the room goes up. And we were, oh, I don't know what we were talking. We were talking about good science and bad science. And I said, okay, I'll give you, a, we'll do a study. So we did that study. I said, we're going to do one more. How many people have ever had a patient come in and hurt themselves eating a donut? Well, not one hand goes up. I said, exercise is good for eating donuts is better for you. Well, obviously that's not good science. But, you know, the point being um, that uh, today I, I see spines that are much more beat up than they used to be because mm -hmm. it's, it's not good exercise people are doing. You can't take a rope and whip it around as fast as you can in a healthy way. It's just not a smart idea. Um, if we would focus a little more of that energy on being the best chiropractors we'd be, I know we'd be further. And I'm not knocking people that exercise. I think that's fantastic. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't exercise. As Dr. Barge told me, he said, you can't exercise health, health into a sick body. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. So if someone, I'll give you an example. We sent a, 
um, an EKG unit, a research grade EKG unit over to Barcelona College of Chiropractic because they wanted one. So one was sent over there and I run the data. So they wanted to test it. So I said, well, send me a send me a pre and a post adjustment and give at least six, seven minutes between the two so that, you know, we, we know they've rested and uh, I'll run the data and send it back to you. So I ran the data, sent it back to them. And they said, well, what does this mean? And I said, well, I really didn't look at your data. I look at it. So I pull it up on the screen and I'm looking at it. And what they did is they took a, an internationally ranked triathlete. Now, these people are in good shape. No symptoms, felt perfectly fine. And they showed that um, his, his uh, uh, adaptability through heart rate variability, it increased by hundreds of percent post-adjustment. Now, I know golfers that would sell their sell their wives, you know, to, for for a cut a stroke. Can you imagine what an internationally ranked triathlete would give to function at that much higher of a level um, post adjustment? I mean, what more does this does an athlete need to see to go? Man, I got to do this. This just makes sense. I have when I have people come in. I have people my age or close to my age that you know, fifty, let's say, that are upper forties and fifties that are, I have a guy who was a ultra marathoner. He's, he's in his mid upper forties. And I asked him when he first came in, I said, well, tell me what an ultra marathoner is all about. And he went through the whole thing and I'm like, Oh my God, these people are nuts. <laughs> well, you know, God bless them. But that's why my generation used to refer to people's health nuts. These people that did all this stuff to be healthy. They're crazy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I said to him, you know, um, how is your, are you getting better at this, at this point in your life? He said, well, no, I'm not as quite as quick as I used to be. I'm still pretty close, but I can't quite do what I used to. And I said, okay. So after his first adjustment, he comes in for a second adjustment and he looks at me and I said, well, did you PR? He goes, what? I said, you just set a new PR for what? I said, well, this running you're doing, did you PR yesterday? He goes, well, I, I, I haven't, I haven't had a, an event. I said, oh, okay. Comes in for his second visit after the adjustment. Did you PR yet? He's like, no, I don't run until October. I said, okay, what's the date? He, he told me, I wrote it down. He comes in after that thing and I didn't even get the words out of my mouth. He looked at me, he goes, what the hell did you do? I said, what? He said, I not only PR'd, but the guys I run with, they're all younger than me and they're all faster than me anyway. He says, I blew them all away. He said, it was incredible. I can't believe the difference. You think that he misses a visit? No. You know, and I don't care what people do. I don't care if they're a high school swimmer. Every time they come in, did you PR? How'd you do in this last competition? Are you better than you were before you were coming in? I want people to understand their bodies performing better. And they all see it. They do. It's And it's not like I'm performing some miracle adjustment. I'm doing what I was taught to do the way I was taught to do it. Just be specific and do the best job I can. And if people understand that and understand that they're adapting better post-adjustment, what more is there to understand? I mean, there's a thousand studies in that book. And the idea that 70% of the people at, at the low end in any community aren't functioning at their highest level, but don't have symptoms yet. They're ours. They're, they're made for us. That's what we do. And if we're not making that case in our practices for people to understand well enough to, to uh, refer someone in, well, that's a shame, you know, um, and, and on that idea of referrals, just a really quick story. I know I'm rambling. I apologize. No, don't <laughs> apologize. Gold. Really quick story. Uh, when I was a, a new grad like you guys fairly do, I started following Reggie Gold around the country. Reggie Gold's going to be in Detroit this weekend. Well, I go to I drive to Detroit, which is, you know, like six and a half hours from me. I drive to Detroit and I'd sit through that same seminar. I saw him doing Chicago the weekend before or Milwaukee two weeks ago or 
or Lincoln, Nebraska a month ago. It was the exact same 10 hours. And I got to, I'd seen him so many times that I got to the point where I could just turn the volume off. And I I'd think to myself, now he's going to talk about this. And he does. Now he's going to mention this. And he does. And it's, I, I, I know what he was going to do. And he told this story about, a, and I was just out of, pra, out of school, not even a year. And he told this story about a, a patient that he was lowering down on a high low and he stopped it partway down and said, you know, um, everything okay with you and me? And guy's like, yeah. And he said, well, you know, usually by this time, people have referred somebody in. I thought, you know, if there's something I need to clarify or something I'm doing that's upsetting you, I need to know. And the guy's like, well, I, I, I just, uh, well, I never thought about it. And he's like, well, most people have referred somebody in. I just want to make sure everything's okay. And lowered him down. And that was it. And I thought, oh, I so can't do this. This is not me. I'm not that kind of guy. But I'm hungry. So I, you know, I like food. So, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do this. Well, this poor soul that came in that next day, uh, Barb, I remember her vividly. She was a school bus driver and uh, sciatica down both legs. She was a hot mess, but now she's doing great. And so I'm lowering her down the high-low and I stop it. Well, you stop a high-low, it doesn't stop. It goes like this. <laughs> and I thought that's odd he didn't mention that. And so I said, Barb, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, when you came in, you know, you were this, I described the hot mess she was, you know, and you tell me you're doing great now. And she just lifted her head. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. Put her head back in like you're creeping me out. And I'm like, I've got to finish this. And <laughs> I said, um, am I doing something wrong? And she said, no. And I said, well, am I giving off an odor? Is it my sense of humor? I mean, what is it? And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, usually by this time, people are referring people in. You've never referred anybody in. I just want to make sure. I mean, you have friends, I imagine. I mean, do you, do you need me to introduce you to people? I mean, what, what's the problem? And she said, well, I have friends. I said, well, I'd like to meet them. And she said, well, I, all right, I'll think about it. I just hadn't thought about it. And I lowered her down. And by the time that table hit the ground, I was almost on the floor next to it because there's no way in hell this is me. I can't do this. I never did it again because it was so fake feeling to me. I can't do it. God bless people that can do this because I'll tell you what, Barb sent 13 people into me. That's and, awesome. But you know what, though? It was so unauthentic for me. It's not me. So I'm telling this to Dick Plummer, who is a he used to be a patient of Reggie's when Reggie was in practice back in the early still in practice in the early 70s in New York. And we're, we're both speaking in South Carolina or at, uh, at, at this uh, philosophy thing down down at uh, the state association. And I'm standing at the elevator with, with Dick and I'm telling him this story and he's laughing and he's laughing louder and louder. I go, well, well, Dick, it's not that funny. He goes, Reggie never owned a high low. And I thought, son of a. <laughs> so I'm apparently the only person ever to do that. But I have to say, if it's you, it works. Not saying hey, 13. But the idea that that well, I sent 30 some patients to my first chiropractor. I thought everybody did that. If I met someone. You know, if Nash, if you and I are friends and I meet your, your new girlfriend, she's going to be a patient at this guy's office because I'm going to pull her to the side. We're going to sit down and talk. And I'm a poor college student. They couldn't rub two nickels together. You know, I was making five bucks an hour, three different jobs I had trying to save money. And I tell them, look, if he doesn't help you with this TMJ issue or whatever their problem was, I'll pay for it. Well, hell, I couldn't pay for it. But that's the confidence I had in what this guy was doing. And I thought everybody referred like that. So it was a shock to me when I got into practice and it's like, you know, you grew a new arm and you're not sending people in here. What's the deal? I don't understand this, you know, and I scratched my head and I don't get it, but I guess I'm different. But, um, you know, if, if people understand 
the opportunity of health that we offer uh, or their bodies offer just free of interference. Um, it's a tremendous, massive thing. And, and that ability to adapt is so important. So, you know, if people want to change one thing right now today, when they check people, don't say, let's see how your spine is. Let's say your nervous system is. Say, let's see how you're adapting today. And then you have an opportunity to explain what that means to people. Because when you're adapting, you're staying alive. A flower on that windowsill here, if I have a flower on my windowsill, I, I like to see the sunflower. So I turn it to face my room, to face me. Well, I come back from lunch and somebody has must have turned my flower. So I turn it back again. Well, the flower goes back by the end of the day and I haven't left the room. I'm like, well, this is weird. Well, it's because of that's what living things do, that they optimize themselves by, by facing the sun. They adapt to the fact that some idiot is facing them the wrong way in the room and they turn and face the other way. When do they stop doing that? When do they stop adapting? When they're dead. So the life is about how we adapt. It's, it's what we are as people, you know. I saw someone this weekend that uh, we had a diplomate class and one of the people gave an explanation and then they had this little, it's a push-up toy they're called. It's a flower pot with a flower and, and he pushes up on it and the thing goes limp and falls over. He's talking about nerve supply and that type of thing. But it would be just as easy to use that analogy with one of those flower pots. He goes, what happens when it stops adapting? You just push a button, the thing falls over. People get that. It doesn't have to be, a, you know, a, a, you know, a human type of example. So I don't know. But, you know, anything we can do to, to get the point across to people is, is good to me and um, you know, educating chiropractors is, is of vital importance. Educating ourselves is important. And educating the people we serve is, is super important because if we don't step out of our comfort zone just a little bit, because once you know, you're like, oh, I don't, I, I don't do, I don't do, you know, patient talks or whatever, something you want to do, but you're afraid to do. Well, I, I know I can't do those, but once you do them, that circle of things, you know, you can do just got bigger because once right. you do one, now, you know, you can do it. So, you know, not saying that that's what you need to do, but whatever it is you want to do in your practice, what you're nervous about, step outside of your comfort zone just a little bit and do something, you know, and practice on grade school kids. You could show them anything and they're like, I like you, you know, <laughs> so, you know, go to, go to, a, you know, offer yourself to a grade school, offer yourself to, to, mm. to judge a science fair, whatever it might be, you know, anything to get, to get around people where you can talk chiropractic and practice on them. And then when you get into your practice, it becomes more natural and you can do those things as students. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I always like to say that uh, adaptation is God's greatest gift to us besides Jesus personally. Um, and I was wondering if, aside from what you've already touched on, if there's any specific verbiage that you have found to talk about adaptation with, you know, the greatest skeptic that you've probably ever met when it comes to chiropractic. Is there anything particular real quick that you're like, uh, Hey, this, this is the, this is the stuff. Well, you know, uh, uh, the greatest skeptic we've met will never believe anything. I mean, that's just the way people, some people are, you know, you, you've heard the story about the hotel on fire. You familiar with that one? Mm -hmm. you know, the hotel's on fire. You wake up in the night and you smell smoke. You're like, Oh my God, the place is on fire. You go out in the hall, the hall's filled with smoke. Well, you could just run out the door, but you know, the right thing to do is, hey, the hotel's on fire. So people come run to the door like, thank you so much. They grab their kids and they follow you down them, and you're knocking on doors. Hotel's <laughs> on fire. Prove it. <laughs> How long are you going to spend at that door? You know, yeah. so yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you, you're not going to get to everyone. And, you know, the, 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 those, are, those that are the, the best at patient communication, the people that, that will pay to go listen to on a weekend, explain these things. If they tell you they don't have patients quit, they're lying. We all do. They, they, they stop. 
can't understand it, you know, but how long are you going to pound on that hotel room door before you move on? But the thing is, knock on those doors, make that, make that difference with people, you know, um, uh, the, the idea of, of, of how we adapt. I mean, I just, I think the flower on the windowsill is a really simple, great thing. Yeah, I, like I saw that, that push-up toy this weekend. I thought I got to get one of these because, <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the, it's the little capper on it to say what happens when a flower quits adapting and stops turning towards the window and you hit the little button on the bottom, the thing goes limp over the side of the flower pot. It's like, that's pretty simple. You know, yeah. John Walker, who graduated, well, I was going to say a few years ago, but it's probably 10 years ago now. It's something he uses in practice. And it's, uh, you know, he was the one that, that gave the example, giving credit where credit's due. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, there are so many examples of, of things to talk about. And studies have shown us that, that, you know, what you pass on as a mother, um, you know, the importance of keeping stress low during pregnancy, the, the importance of keeping stress in our lives low because it affects what we pass on to the next generation. And that goes for men too, up until the point of conception. After that, I guess we don't matter a whole lot, but, <laughs> but up to that point, the stress is in our life, the way, you know, that our own backgrounds affect the genes we pass on and how that child's going to handle stressors and things like that. So, you know, being able to adapt properly, I mean, what's more important than building a human? You know, I refer to pregnant women in my practice and I see a lot of them. I, I tell them that you're like an easy bake oven, um, you know, because I'm a guy and we don't really understand it all. But <laughs> I tell them you're like an easy bake oven. You have whether you have a 40 watt bulb or a 60 watt bulb to bake that brownie. I don't know. We like to think it's nine months, but I've seen women go almost 10 months. And I always tell them, lie about when your last cycle was. Give yourself a two-week buffer because they're going to rip that thing out of you at nine months in a day. They get so anxious. And it's a normal, natural process. And I always give the example of, you know, the woman in Africa that was pregnant for like three and a half years and never delivered. And they're like, I didn't know about that. It never happened. That's why. They always come out. I'm lying. (laughs) They always come out, you know. (laughs) And it just, you got me. You got me on that one too. Yeah, like, you're like, oh, no kidding. Yeah, well, that's because we're guys. But a pregnant woman will always go. I never heard about that. It's like because it doesn't happen. They always come out. You know, so it's awesome. any, anything we can do to get that idea that how how we adapt uh, across the people better is 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 because that's our. If we're going to put me, put us in a cubby hole, put us in that one. Don't put us in low back pain. People have kidney mm-hmm. cancer and have low back pain. You know, I mean, there's a billion yeah. things that could cause low back pain. But if you have decreased levels of ad- adaptability, I'll bet dollars to donuts. And I like donuts, but I know I'm just kidding. But I, I'll, I'll bet that if, if that person is subluxated, I'll guarantee you that that level of adaptability is going to improve post-adjustment, whether they can feel it or not, like that, that, um, that triathlete I mentioned. I mean, that's a phenomenal example to me, just saying, look how much better they function. Their functional level is so much higher and they didn't even notice a change in their body. They feel exactly the same. These people I talk about with the PRs, you know, this ultra marathon or any of these people. I mean, all these years I've had, you know, football, all kinds of people come through the practice and they they all function better. They all notice a difference. So, yeah, you know, that's about that's amazing. Wow. I cannot thank you enough for hopping on with us today. I know Dr. Nash had to run out here a little bit. He had oh, to I get serve it. up some people. That's good. That's good. Absolutely. But I, I just want to say, I uh, just really appreciate you being on here, sharing some words of wisdom, sharing some history, and then also some motivational stuff as well for, for everybody that's listening in chiropractors or just overall 
individuals, please uh, take heed of Dr. Sinnott's words here and just go apply them more than anything. Go execute it. One, one last thing I want to give you that Dr. Barge used to say is that, yeah. um, you know, people come to us dressed in the, the tattered garb of, of, of despair. You know, they're, 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 they don't know what to, where to turn. And, you know, it's fear. And when um, we're at our best, when we, we uh, give them hope. And he used to say, never remove hope from a patient because it doesn't belong to you. And just mm-hmm. keep that in mind. And, and that includes explaining what you have to offer as a chiropractor. It's not, it's not, you're not advertising yourself. You're giving them an opportunity to, to, to restore hope in them for, for something brighter for them or their family, whoever it might be that they might refer to you. And that's, that's tremendous. So focus on that. Don't focus on this sales thing. Cause that's nonsense, you know, focus on that. We, we get to offer what we do to new people. And that's, that's where the, that's the key to me. That's awesome. Thank you so much for those last Thank words of wisdom. And, and just again, being on here um, and, and for, for making and paving the way for us, Dr. Nash and I both. So Good fighters. Thank you so much. Please, if you can reach out to either of us or reach out to Dr. Sinnott, um, go take any courses or anything that he has to offer as well. Dr. Sinnott, once again, thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Keep doing the good work. Yes, sir. We will. All right. Take care. Good fighters, you know where to find us. Thank you. 